You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to another episode of 1881. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, American Hereford Association podcast. And uh, we're excited today uh, to have another special guest join the podcast. Uh, the title for today's segment is Building the Foundation. And uh, we have an excellent guest uh, that's uh, certainly built several foundations within the Hereford breed. And we're excited to, to share uh, those memories, uh, that history, and I think uh, some potential goals for um, some of our younger listeners um, and other folks in the breed uh, to to learn from and to uh, continue with raising great Hereford cattle. And so it's my honor to introduce today's guest as uh, Mr. Guy Collier. Welcome, Guy. Um, Certainly no stranger to the Hereford breed. Uh, definitely a passionate breeder, a 2019 Hereford Hall of Fame inductee and past board member. And so um, a gentleman that's uh, been through several transitions within the breed, seen a lot, and uh, we're excited to have him join the podcast today to, to learn a little bit uh, about uh, Collier Hereford's guy and his family and so welcome guy thanks for joining us well thank you shane it's an honor for me uh to be able to participate uh we've always been uh very dedicated to the herford breed and try to help out uh any way we can yes sir and that uh i know um you've been in, involved in several different projects uh and uh, support, uh, you know, of, of the board and served on those terms and, uh, you know, went went through a lot of uh, enduring times uh, for this breed. And so, you know, I think before we get into the, that guy, I mean, uh, let's let's jump into a little bit of uh, your background, uh, going back to the early days of young Guy Collier and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got uh started just in general in the cattle business <laughs> well uh the uh the start of the hereford uh, the purebred part of uh collier herefords was a very humble beginning uh we always had uh commercial hereford cattle <clears throat> uh i was the third generation uh on this ranch uh, my granddad homesteaded in the early 1900s and uh kyle will be fourth generation and cruz will be fifth uh generation and uh so of course all the cat all the cut uh cattle in the 50s 60s uh majority of them were hereford cattle and we built uh finally built up a commercial herd of around uh, 700 cows it was uh kind of a rawhide outfit we ended up uh we trailed cows and calves to sp uh the desert spring range took us a day and a half <clears throat> took us uh then all summer we stayed at cow camp uh about 40 miles from the main ranch uh no electricity or running water and uh we'd trail cows uh We'd get up, leave camp, 
probably ride uh, nine, ten miles before we ever gathered our first hoof. We'd had cattle scattered. Uh, uh, the, the small pasture that uh, BLM allotment was 30,000 acres, and we gathered into that before uh, before we rodeered. So anyway, trailing cows six, eight miles uh, to rodeer ground, you learned a lot about cattle. Uh, no air tags. Uh, brands and earmarks was the only identification and <clears throat> and my dad my dad was a great cowboy and a great cowman uh, he taught me at an early age to study cows uh, what their calves looked like and so you kind of got an inner sense of the good ones and the bad ones with the you know if you saw a cow uh, and she looked the part well her calf was going to look good and so you kind of that was the visual appraisal was all we had to go on. And, and uh, so I, I wouldn't trade my early years for anything. And I was happy that Kyle uh, was able to spend the same uh, same time with my dad at a young, uh, early age and, and kind of got a sense of uh, what you expected uh, cows to be able to do. So, Guy, this this would have been, uh, I mean, uh, in your teenage years. I mean, when when was your first time going to cow camp? Uh, six. six. <laughs> I started the first grade, uh, first grade of school in the old uh, cow camp, which was uh, the one room log cabin, and uh, <laughs> we started out from there. And mom brought me into school, and then after that, we moved up. Uh, bought a bigger place and and uh, expanded the commercial operation and but it was uh, <clears throat> oh Kathy my sister and I uh, pretty well and my mom and dad would leave out from camp every morning and and uh, we didn't ever have uh, any gooseneck trailers or any full trailers uh, all we had was. Uh, Two-ton trucks. They were either sixteen or eighteen-foot bed trucks with cattle racks on them, and yeah. and uh, my dad never believed in loading a horse uh, that you could you couldn't ride from camp. And so we we even rode from from here at the main ranch. We'd ride three miles up to the the hutch place to work cows and and up a gravel road and back and and. Uh, he lived uh, to be horseback, <clears throat> and that, that's he, that's all he really ever wanted to do. That, that's what made him happy. And and uh, and again, I say uh, I wouldn't trade that experience uh, for anything. So, did you guys uh, raise your own horses? Because I'm I'm just imagining um, you had to be pretty well mounted. To, well, to I mean, we wasn't very well mounted, but they were tough. <laughs> they, uh, those horses back in those days were pretty rank. And yeah. I never considered myself to be much of a horseman, but I did uh, start a few colts. And, and uh, yeah, we had six or eight broodmares and yeah. we raised our own and, and, uh, and broke them. And, uh, but yeah, you'd, took some pretty tough horses and we had a bell mare and, and, uh, and a string of, uh, uh, gildings that we'd, uh, go out 
and wrangle every morning and bring into camp and then catch your horses that you're going to ride for that day. And then, uh, so sometimes it took as long to gather the old bell mare as it did uh, the the cows. <laughs> she could run off every once in a while, and it'd take quite a while to go. You'd have to go five six miles to ever hear that bell. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So from from this point, you know, as as you guys, uh, you know, as you went through, uh, you know, middle school, high school. You know, um, your love for her for cattle was obviously deep. You know, uh, tell us tell us a little bit of how the ranch evolved. You said you added more acres and the operation got bigger. Um, but what what kind of led you to the next next path? Well, I guess uh, running cattle the way we did, I always had a passion for knowing a little bit more about them because uh, there was times. You know, you'd always see the cows or see a particular cow or whatever two or three times a year. So that kind of led me into wanting uh, to know and study a little more about them. And I got interested in the registered business. So my sister and I, every time uh, I I was in 4-H at 8 and sold my first steer and uh, same with my sister. And then we... uh, we went and bought heifers with uh, with the uh, income that we made. And uh, so we did that two different years. And so we ended up each having two heifers. And uh, this kind of kept growing a little bit through then. Uh, my uh, Willard Wolf was working for the Hereford Association. Uh, Dwayne Dietz was with the Western Livestock uh, Journal. And both. Both of them were very instrumental in helping me locating a few heifers or cows here and there. And so slowly built up to a herd of, oh, 30 or 40. Uh, and then uh, went off to, to college. And then in, in high school, I'd go out and stay at cow camp. And and uh, also after my freshman year of school, uh, I went out and, and stayed out there and rode and was very satisfied with my life, but did have a yearning for to do more in the purebred end. And uh, so when I, uh, I guess when I got on into college, I was, uh, I'd go, uh, got to be a junior or senior, I would, I would go to bull sales. <laughs> instead of college <laughs> and uh i'd take off and go with Dwayne and willard and and learned a lot about the purebred business and got a real desire to to do that and uh so that was uh a, a big uh beginning in me and the my uh professors i had a I had uh, my advisor call me in one day and Doc Hodson said, well, the professor say you've been skipping a lot of school, said, what have you been doing? And I said, well, I've been skipping out and going on the weekends and usually on Friday and then Monday sales and I've been going to bull sales. He said, well, that's kind of what I figured. He said, uh, I hate to I hate to, I shouldn't tell you this, but he said uh, you'll probably learn more there than you're going to be learning in college. So, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't uh, he didn't 
think it was too bad a deal. And, and I learned uh, an awful lot and, and got a passion for, uh, for the business from there. So that, what college was that guy? Tell the uh, University of Idaho. Yeah. 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 So. Very good. So, um, that that's in Boise then, or where, where is that? <laughs> no, not hardly. <laughs> I, I thought the listeners would enjoy a little joke there. Uh, it's the, to it's the only just in Idaho. It's uh, Moscow, Idaho, <laughs> <laughs> a land grant institution. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, there's no no love loss uh, between uh, Guy Collier and the Blue Field there in Boise. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very very true. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, that that had to be fun, just traveling down the road with those two guys, uh, Willard and Dwayne, and uh, I'd, I'd hate to know what uh, the amount of learning that took place and what you saw and what uh, – so this would have been what – get give a give us a time frame here. The I graduated college in 72. In 72. <laughs> so – And uh, – you know, what What did the Hereford cattle look like then, Guy? I mean, as you were going to these sales uh, and what, what 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 kind of cattle did we have? Well, I went to I went to Denver for the first time when I was a senior in high school in 1968. And uh, they were belt buckle cattle, extremely small. Uh, you know, it was uh <clears throat> And that's one thing, I guess, you know, back in that era, <coughs> there was uh, a dwarfism problem. And you bred those cattle so small, uh, we'd always have six or eight dwarfs in our commercial herd every year. And as luck would have it, the two uh, first heifers that I bought were both dwarf carriers. Really? So <laughs> so we had to work uh, work our way through that. And back then... We didn't have the technology we do today. I mean, you had to progeny test those cattle free, and it was a long, long process. Uh, took a lot of people out of the business uh, in order to clear that up, but it was an ongoing battle for years. So those cattle were very small, <clears throat> and uh, I guess looking back, you know, uh, we we had to transition through through uh, the big ones, the big extreme ones, then in the 80s. And and uh, we were hit with the continental breeds coming in, taking a lot of the market share. And so we had to, it yeah. seemed like, go from one extreme to the other in order to hit the middle. Right. Get some performance and, and uh, back in the cattle that we'd lost uh, through the years. Yep, yep. So you graduate uh, from the University of Idaho, and uh, you're off uh, your your first job outside of uh, college was what guy? <clears throat> well, I was at I was out at cow camp. Uh, Dwayne Dietz uh, called and said, you know, he said uh, I'm going to go work for the Angus Association, and Western Livestock Journal is going to be looking for a fieldman, and. Uh, he said, I think it would be a great opportunity for you to, to do that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, it worked out great for me. I, uh, 
was able to travel for two and a half years with Western Livestock Journal, had Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and British Columbia. Uh, met a lot of great uh, producers, a lot of great cattlemen, and a lot of great friends that uh, still remain today. And uh, it was it was a great experience and and quite a learning curve for uh, for me for me from uh, <clears throat> a small rural town to uh, to go out and and work some sales in Denver and and uh, around the country it was it was quite an honor to to represent certainly and so uh, from WLJ. Uh, you came back home then and uh, kind of wanted to put your roots down further in the purebred business or? <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, luckily in my travels, I met my wife. Uh, uh, I wondered. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's where all the good things began. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Sherry and I were married uh, in August of 76 and, and uh, I knew that uh, traveling to that extent was not necessarily a great business for married guys. And, and uh, I was ready to, to go ahead and try to, to uh, do more with the ranch. And uh, so that was, uh, we got married and, and uh, we spent our honeymoon at Stone Herford Ranch. Yeah. Uh we always said we were going to take a honeymoon but we never that was that was our honeymoon and still is today. We spent it was a 4-day dispersion and uh <clears throat> Denny Hoffman and Mike Owens and I uh every night would sit in the room and pour through the catalog and decide which ones we were going to bid on the next day and so we weren't bidding against each other. Yeah. And uh I think I ended up with 42 cows out of that sale and that was uh sherry had a few head i had a few head and then uh we ended up uh going up and kind of got our pick of uh 15 cows out of the bb uh cattle program in connell and and uh so that was kind of our uh nucleus and then a year or two later we bought the entire uh Herford program and uh, up in Washington, there was about 180 pairs in that. And so we dove in uh, pretty heavy at that time. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit. Um, you know, the BB uh, outfit, uh, you know, is still operating and running to, today that you mentioned, but uh, Stone Herford Ranch, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that outfit and the significance and so they were uh, <clears throat> Howard Stone uh, was uh, the owner. Doug Bennett uh, was the manager, and Denny Hoffman was the herdsman. And okay. I got to be uh, close friends with Denny, and uh, got to know the cattle. I'd go by there and take pictures and set up advertising and all of that. And so uh, it was. Uh, very famous, famous ranch. They built one of the best reputations, uh, had basically Mark Donald and line one cattle. And, uh, that was kind of the, the, uh, industry standard. It was a time when cattle were changing. We were getting them bigger and more performance and started, uh, some 
some performance records on the cattle. And so that was uh, uh, kind of the <clears throat> flagship breeder uh, up into that time. And then Doug took uh, a segment of those cattle and moved to Henrietta, Texas and, and had Lone Star, started Lone Star Herefords down right. there off of the base of the Stone Ranch cattle. Yeah. So you've got uh, this nucleus of of Hereford cattle, and um, you know you and Sherry are are building up uh, with this group of cows, and kind of what what was the next part of Call Your Herefords guy? I mean, how did you start yeah. promoting and and getting your name and your brand out there? Well, I guess uh, I would uh, I would say that. You know, we had an advantage uh, back in that era of having big consignment sales. Uh, Filer, Idaho would have 200 uh, and some halter bulls, all pretty well, all Herefords. Uh, Idaho Hereford breeders had a big sale in Gooding, Idaho, <clears throat> had 100, 150 bulls. And uh, I guess I would just say, and, and uh, for a little bit, as far as some of the new breeders trying to establish uh, themselves, <clears throat> we always uh, took out our best bulls to these sales. We uh, we'd never sell all of our or any of our good ones at home. So we established a, established a, a reputation of of uh, top end cattle. Whenever we went into those sales, we'd have uh, maybe six or eight bulls and have you know the first first bulls in the sale and maybe, you know, uh, right at the very top. Uh, and that was maybe we didn't have the best ones, but we, the ones we took to town were our best ones. And so yeah. uh, I think that's very important. I don't care if it's a heifer sale or some kind of a consignment bull sale or whatever, uh, you establish a reputation early on uh, by having quality and, and you, you take your best ones to town. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's uh, that's what we did, and and from there we were able to establish uh, uh, a reputation for quality. So I mean, and, uh, at, were you showing at, at this time, or was it just <coughs> those consignment bull sales and those type of an events that you were going? <coughs> well, yeah, we showed a little bit. I guess to back up a little bit, I showed. Uh, I showed when I was in high school, uh, I'd load up two or three heifers in that 18 foot, uh, two ton truck and go to, uh, Western Idaho fair and, uh, stay in the back of the truck, sleep in the truck, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Stead, stood dead ass last <laughs> at ever show, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I told my folks that I was going to do better one of these days. So yeah. <laughs> there wasn't yeah. any way to go, but, 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 uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but after we, uh, yeah, <clears throat> uh, Sherry had, a she had the, the insight and, the, uh, ability to show cattle. She was the, as a girl in high school, <clears throat> BB, uh, Bill Bennett would haul her, the wiener calves over to her place and she would halter break and, and get them all ready. 
for the shows and clip them and and everything. And I had no background in that. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, we we worked together, and she did most of it uh, to go uh, up to Filer. We took uh, we went up there one time, and and uh, that was the biggest ROM Herford show other than Denver. Mm. Was at Filer, Idaho. There was cattle here from Virginia, Texas, uh, just pretty well ever western state. Uh, it was uh, it was a huge show. <clears throat> we we were pretty proud of what we had until we got up there. Uh, we had uh, we had a fall calf, and uh, we got looking around, and we decided though he didn't even need to see the barn. We better just keep him in the tie-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think the I think the best we did was eighth in class uh, with the heifer. Of course, they didn't have divisions; they just had classes, and there was probably twenty twenty to twenty-five head the junior heifer calves in that one class and we were pretty proud we were eight that day and that yeah. was uh that was uh that was the start <laughs> so <laughs> it's better than we've been doing <laughs> I, I can't imagine um and I, i'm sure the listeners are having a, a challenge too um those that are younger driving a two-ton truck um cattle no air conditioner no heater just heading down the road, uh, doing what you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, we didn't know any different. Right. And that was, that was the thing. Uh, it'd be tough for the next generations to do it, but that was, uh, that was, that's now what, that's happen. what we had. That's what we, that's what we, that's what we did. And, uh, was happy I, to do it. I suppose it was pretty common for folks at that time to, uh, sleep in the stock rack trucks or, you know, make camp at the, at the shows or, I mean, it's not like there was a lot of motel hotels or. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Right? I mean, that was just kind of what you did. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what, that's what we did. And that was, uh, I'm sure they weren't all, everybody did that, but that's, that was our means at the time. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> So you're 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 building your reputation, you know. Call your Herefords is is becoming a prominent uh, establishment, uh, you know, in the West and and uh, the U.S. for that matter. And you're 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 building up your name. I mean, what? I guess where was the breakthrough moment, guy? That um, you know, when you got to that point where you said, okay, you know, it's it's time to go to the next level and 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 expand and and where you, I don't know necessarily that you made it, but you know, what, what was that pivotal point where you said we can start having production sales and, and, and moving, moving forward? Well, <clears throat> I think it was uh, pretty obvious for us uh, when we ended up uh, buying the pace center bull back in the fall of 82 his name wasn't pace setter at the time. It was BH Domino 313 or something like that. But anyway, he was a yearling bull that uh, <clears throat> had been winning a few shows and and uh, was actually bred by Jerry Bieber, was Ken Bieber's brother. 
uh, Arlo Jensen was showing him. And uh, he ended up, uh, ABC had a bull uh, from Kilgore, Nebraska, that was very popular and been winning some shows. But uh, I got at, I got into the generation turnover in these cattle as far as trying to change them faster, uh, studying uh, the the quicker you turn the generations, the, the faster you get away from the little short dumpy cattle and trying to get into uh, some more of the performance kind of cattle. And, and uh, <clears throat> it kind of led me to that bull. Uh, his mother was three, his grandmother was five, and his great-grandmother was eight. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, and was out of, oh, the 970 bull was one of the real popular uh, bulls in the country at the time, and that was his sire. And uh, so I was convinced that that was a bull that was going to change the industry. And uh, so I went back to South Dakota and I to South Dakota to the sale. Dwayne Dietz was there, uh, and uh, so I figured I wouldn't have the money to to buy him by by ourselves. So we we partnered with Charlie Higgins. Jack Evans was the manager at the time, and they had originally wanted to go on the sire, and uh, but we kind of convinced him to go with this young bull, and. Uh, uh, 970, I believe he brought 105,000 that day, which was a lot of money in the 80, in the eighties. Yeah. And, uh, we paid 67,000 for pace setter. Really? And, uh, uh, it was kind of interesting to Shenko brothers, uh, kind of a commercial bull producing outfit. They were runner up. And probably if they would have ended up buying him, we would have never seen him again. But anyway, uh, uh, Arlo, <clears throat> after that show, he loaded him up and and uh, went to a couple other shows, and then uh, was in went into Kansas City in uh, fall of '82, and uh, that was the first big win for the Bull. And uh, then he turned around then in 83, uh, was uh, Denver champion. Then we turned around again then in 84 and showed him again in Denver. And he was a two-time Denver champion. And and uh, the first bull since the uh, early 1900s that had ever won Denver twice. Is that right? That I was, was going to ask that. Yeah. So that was quite a, quite a feat. Uh, to be able to do that, there was people, uh, we sold a tremendous amount of semen. Uh, he was a big stout, uh, big boned, uh, had a lot of performance, uh, excellent semen producer. Uh, we had him later on in life and he could cover a pasture like a saddle horse. Uh, he was so sound after being on the concrete and collecting seaman and and so he was uh remarkable uh as far as uh feet and legs and and uh really sound in every way daughters weren't always great uh back in those days that wasn't uncommon and had to kind of sift through them 
but uh, he kind of changed uh, changed the industry as far as uh, as far as getting size and growth into the Hereford cattle. Yeah, yeah, monumental time for uh, the breed, and and definitely call your Herefords. Um, so you would uh, so Arlo Jensen that you were talking about. Um, he was running a fitting service then. Uh, yeah, he had a semi and and uh, hauled cattle for everybody uh, all over the country, and uh, so Arlo was uh, was a little cantankerous to put up with, but at that time, if if uh, if you wanted something to perform, well, Arlo could get the best out of him. He was the guy to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, from that point, I guess, guy, I mean, uh, were you taking big strings of cattle from, from Colliers or from, <clears throat> no, I should say, uh, along with pace setter what, or what else did you have in Denver? Is it just, well, him? it's kind of funny, you know, people ask at the time ET was real new, just coming in and, and, uh, so uh we ended up having a bull called express and uh he was our first product of et and uh that was uh was kind of an interesting uh 3223 was his was his uh his number <clears throat> and uh so everybody asked well what do you think of this et and i said well it's pretty hard to argue with it when the first one you get uh we showed uh express i think there was nine rom shows plus uh denver and he was champion at eight of them uh reserve at one and was reserve in denver and uh <laughs> at that that next year extreme extreme bull extremely big tall uh would really be shunned today but looking back on it like i said earlier we needed to hit the middle and in order to do that you had to go way extreme to get back in the middle and have some cattle that would compete with the continentals because they were eating our lunch as far as uh cattle sales so the first et work you would have done would have been when then guy i mean that's uh would have been uh 82 yeah yeah so um express was reserved behind pace setter or was that in 85 no that no that would have been uh he would have been shown uh in 80 he was uh reserve champion in denver in 85 83 84 and 85 yeah yeah as a as a two-year-old yeah 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 and uh he was a bull that we turned around and sold i think uh i think he brought one hundred and thirty-five thousand for half interest that year in denver and uh we also at that time started showing carloads at that time we had to have uh i think it was 15 calves and 12 yearlings for a carload and it was uh very competitive uh in a sense other than uh i don't think we washed those bulls but once or twice before we went to denver and uh 
we had most you'd you'd drive them up and down the alleys. Uh, most of those cattle wouldn't lead when you got there. They'd lead pretty good by the time you left. But uh, you'd run them run drive. them up and down the alley and then catch them and tie them into the into the uh, into your 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 day uh, stalls. But it was uh, very competitive. I mean, there was cattle pens and or there was carloads from. We didn't have pens, just carloads, but there was a a big number, and and commercial guys would come in there and uh, buy the whole carload at a time, and yeah. it was a selling place that, uh, like no other, as far as marketing commercial commercial bulls, uh, that was uh, the place to to get them sold. So, were all those bulls, guy? Were they part of the? Herford sale that happened in Denver, or was that just private treaty or a combination of both? <clears throat> oh, it was a combination of both. That there, there was a big, big bull sale up on the hill, and and I, it seems to me like uh, that you could take some of your, a portion of your pen bulls and show them or sell them up on the hill. I'm not exactly sure on that, but but there'd be a two or three hundred uh, bulls sales. Uh, that would be on the hill. And, so those uh, those yellow curtains, those old yellow curtains at the end of the announcer stand. That was the backdrop, it, right? That was the backdrop, and that that it, that portion of the stadium would be completely full. Yeah, uh, at the bull sale. Yeah, huge huge crowds. Yeah. So who would have been some of the auctioneers at that time, <clears throat> guy? Well, George Morris was kind of the lead auctioneer. Uh, sold most of the high dollar Herford sales. Uh, Ken Trout from here in Emmett, Idaho, was uh, a world champion in, uh, I believe it was uh, 77 or 78. Ken was a tremendous auctioneer and sold all of our first sales. Yep. And, uh, Oh, uh, I can't think of uh, some other ones, but uh, Ray Ray uh, Ray Sims uh, was one of the real good auctioneers, and uh, so yeah, there was. Uh, but but George Morris sold most of the high dollar Hereford sales. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, first production sale. I guess that you would have hosted there in Bruno at the ranch would have been in what year? Uh, 81, I believe this next one will be our 44th. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, oh, and we sold about all two-year-olds at that time, had a few fall calves, but the yearlings, uh, you never, couldn't market a yearling bull. You always had to have a full two-year-old bulls. Yeah, I think we had sixty or eighty, something like that, in our first sale. And that was just the belief at the of the commercial cattlemen at that time. They wanted a bigger, stronger bull. Um, yeah, yeah, just to get out into <clears throat> range and all that. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it it took a long time uh, to ever get people convinced, and I think it was probably 
a lot of the type change and and getting more performance and getting these cattle uh, to gain more and get bigger at an early age that uh, that we were able to move to start year selling more yearling bulls. But at that time, those cattle, most of them weren't capable of really getting that size and breeding age at uh, that early age uh, like we like we can get them now. Right. To do that. You know, so at, at this time, I mean, uh, you know, Collier Herefords is a is a, a name brand outfit. I mean, we're in middle to, to late 80s. I mean, you guys are on the scene uh, in a big way. Denver is a, a major marketing point for uh, the ranch or production sales moving right along. Um, what else I, I think is it? I think it's valuable for the listeners. What else were you doing? guy within the industry and you know within the association to broaden your network um the connection and you know just the progression i guess of what what allowed the operation to keep going well i guess one of the one of the things was uh ultrasound collecting carcass data and ultrasound data was uh just the very very beginning and uh, so we we started ultrasounding uh, back in uh, I think it was the, either eighty three or eighty four, and uh, <clears throat> brought uh, Jim Stouffer, Doctor Jim Stouffer from Cornell University, mm. was uh, the pioneer of ultrasound. We brought him out. Uh, it was an interesting split screen. They they couldn't fit the the, the cat the ribeye onto one screen and so he had to double screen them and then match them up as close as he could oh, and uh <laughs> so it was very very archaic uh system but it was the best we had at the time and uh i guess uh we had uh we had bulls with pace setter and express and some of these bulls that that did have some additional carcass and and uh so that was a way that we were able to kind of promote that part of it uh i guess uh the other thing was the advancements of the internet was just coming in and and uh sherry told me if we won denver twice with pace setter that we were going to buy a computer and <laughs> so uh in 1984 i judged the lewiston herford week herford show and Flew back home and she loaded me up and we went to Rock Springs, Wyoming to a computer school and, and a vendor school. And that night uh, we bought our first computer and and uh, brought it home and the guy came and set it up and it took the whole kitchen table uh, <laughs> as big as it was. Cost $10,000. Oh, my. For the first computer. And it was a dot matrix printer. And uh, uh, Sherry thought she had the world by the tail. She took off and and uh, studied computer magazines. She was able to change and upgrade the memory chips in them, and the, the uh, so she became kind of the the tech techie one that everybody would contact if they had problems with their computer. She. She went to class in Boise and and how to design uh, graphic design to build our own catalog. And she also did several other catalogs for different people. And uh, 
she was uh, ahead of the game as far as uh, as far as that goes. And then uh, and the other thing was the EPDs were just starting to come in to play, and that played a big role. Uh, and of course, you know we had the, some performance cattle that would be exceptional for growth and uh, maybe had some birth weight along with it, but they would end up, uh, they, those calves would feed in the feedlot. And yeah. uh, I had uh, one fella, uh, Willard Wolf and I convinced uh, Jack Pierce that he needed to, to look at these EPDs and select uh, cattle off of them. And uh, so Jack came and bought 10 pace setter sons. And really? probably averaged seven to eight thousand on those bulls. Brought them right out of the top of the sale. <clears throat> Took them home and put them on a set of cows, and and uh, bet Willard and I that they wouldn't perform like we said that they would with yeah. the EPDs. And uh, he kind of played a trick on us because he used them on the the, the two year old heifers. And he said, well, these heifers this next year have to go out in the real world and work with the regular cows. And he kind of babied these, babied these first calf heifers, and then the next year they went out. So that was the set of heifers that he put them on, the set of cows. Yep. And uh, so the next uh, sale, uh, not the next sale, but the next sale after that, uh, Jack came into the sale barn with two big uh we we bet him a felt hat. He come in with the Manila folder and he said, "Well, after the sale, you guys need to look at this." And uh, so he ended up. Uh, uh, Willard and I looked at it after the sale, and and uh, he had all the the breakdowns of every calf, uh, pace setter, grandsons, or the other ones, and uh, they had outperformed those other cattle enough to sit at the, at the bottom of the note, he said, it took 3.3, the extra gain of 3.3 steers to buy your $250 hats. (laughs) So there was that much extra gain in those cattle versus the ones that he'd been using. And that was, uh, that's what sold us on EPDs. Wow. That's, that's an awesome. That is an awesome story. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've still got the I've still got the envelope. <laughs> oh my, yeah, it was. Uh, and Jack was at the was at that computer school, and he bought the computer at the same time we did. So he was a very progressive commercial yeah. man, right? And uh, and didn't and all was was straight Hereford cattle. I, I can't imagine just how that changed the game, um, you know, as you as you took that bit of information and then started expanding, you know, into other, you know, that testimony alone, guy. I mean, that uh, that's that's powerful. That's yes, powerful. it was. <clears throat> yes, it was. Yeah, and that. Uh, so, I guess you know we didn't have a lot of. Uh, Lostras, uh, as far as promotion and that sort of thing, uh, most of it was print advertising. And uh, 
but we had some mailers that we mailed out to different people and and uh, tried to stay in communication with them as much as we could. Something else I've learned here, you know, um, when I visited the ranch before there uh, in Bruno, it seems like Kyle always has a new gadget or some kind of new technology he's implementing at the ranch. Now I fully understand it's double bread in him uh, between you and Sherry um, about uh, you guys embracing technology and advancements, whether it's ET, AI, you know, any breed improvement uh, measurement, computers, technology. I mean, that's that's been uh, some of your success, wouldn't wouldn't you say? I mean, uh, to to and philosophy turning generation intervals, I mean, has allowed you guys to progress. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess it uh, <laughs> applies in humans as well as cattle. I think uh, every generation should be and is better. They have more technology and they embrace more technology. And so uh, I consider Kyle uh, and the reason that we sent him back to K-State was to get uh, a better education, uh, be able to judge livestock and and get that uh, part of it. Uh, he ended up, uh, when he graduated college, he said, well, we need to get an ultrasound machine and start preg check on our own cattle. And so he went back with one of the Briner boys and learned that technology. And we've had, uh, we've had our own ultrasound preg check. And uh, since he's been able to preg check since the early 2000 and uh, upgraded, upgraded several times, but uh, we're all uh, EID tags now as far as uh the all the cattle and he's just recently uh started uh a program cow manager that each cow is uh is uh identified with a reader and uh studying uh their rumination and their heats uh when they come in heat and study the level of, of their activity and been uh, breeding, uh, AI breeding off of those heats. So uh, uh, it'll pull up on your phone and show you when these cows are, are starting to come in heat. And and uh, we'll see how all that works out. It looks like it's, it's promising so far uh, to do that. We've also, uh, are on the gym program, <clears throat> have been, uh, for years now and and Kyle spends a great deal of time on that program and and you're able to uh to mate cattle and do some predictability of of uh of uh, EPDs and all with that so uh so yeah I think uh and I guess it kind of all goes back to Sherry on the computer side and that uh, whenever uh whenever we hit a wall we'll we Sherry, Sherry bails us out or, or Katie, my daughter, yeah. Katie now is active, very active in the ranch. And she's very knowledgeable of, uh, of those things as well. Yeah. So, so guy, let's, I mean, uh, we're, I mean, you're, I think anybody that's been there in the house, um, 
you know, has seen the, the amount of Denver champions um, and national champions that, that you've acquired, you know, over time is, is it just sets me back every time you walk in there and, and from very humble beginnings, uh, you know, showing, you know, out of the, the two ton stock truck, I mean, what, what I think just kind of, it just fed off one another guy, or I mean, what, what was the recipe for success there? Um, you know, as you went through the, the mid eighties to the, the nineties into the two thousands, I mean, what, what was really clicking and working? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess the, the whole core of our program is based on selling commercial bulls, a volume of commercial bulls. And I think if you base a breeding program off of that, uh, the rest of it will come. And uh, so uh, with that in mind, I, I guess I've always been proud of the fact that you know, you might have a, a Denver champion bull that has five, six, seven, eight full brothers that can go out and work in the commercial industry. And I think that's what, uh, that's been our philosophy is, and uh, uh, we, you need uh, cattle that will work in both segments. Mm-hmm. And uh, they might not be the greatest show heifer or show bull or whatever but uh they'll work they'll work uh and the numbers will work as well and i think that that's uh one thing we i guess when i was on the board we started uh putting epds in the show ring and uh before that it was all just visual appraisal and and so i i thought at the time you know if these cattle are going to be marketable they're going to have to have some numbers to go with them and you can't just show them. And, and then uh, you, you, you got to have some good numbers. And, and I think that's even stronger today than it ever was before. Uh, uh, you know, if, if you don't have uh, uh, an animal or an individual that fits uh, people's criteria on selection, uh, you'll, you'll uh, be hard to, hard to move those cattle. Yeah. And yeah. So, so your uh, your time on the board guy was when? What what time frame? Uh let me see, I gotta think back now. Ninety two to ninety-eight. Yep. And uh one of the most exciting times uh that was ever happened, uh I believe. And I guess at this time I'd like to I'd like to put a plug in for any individual, anybody that would run for the board, it's a great experience. And uh, so I would encourage anybody that that has any desire uh, to run. Uh, it's time well spent. And uh, it, it's, uh, a li- it was a life changer for me. We, uh, uh, Hop Dickinson retired. We hired Craig Huffines. Uh, Craig had been with the CHB. Uh, uh, Herford study was kind of a natural to, to fill that, uh, to come in. Very young, uh, but uh, a wealth of knowledge in, in the industry. And, uh, oh, I guess uh, 
the other thing, like I say, we put the EPDs in the show ring, and then uh, <clears throat> then we merged the Pold and Herford Pold Association and the Horned Association. Very challenging times. A uh, lot of different thoughts as far as direction of the breed. Uh, com two completely different performance programs, two different show programs, uh, and we had to had to uh, merge all that into into one entity and uh but it was it was also exciting times uh most of us firmly believed that it needed to be done and and uh the herford breed needed to be one mm -hmm. and uh so i was on the merger the merger committee with uh some really good uh people uh Dr. Burns, uh, 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 oh, uh, <laughs> good friend uh, from Texas, John Dudley, <clears throat> and uh, James Bright was on it, uh, Jane Cornelius, uh, Lillabelle, the late Lillabelle was probably uh, one, maybe the glue that put us together. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, kind of the liaison between Pold and Horned, and I always owed her a great deal of gratitude for for being able to to get that done. So that uh, I think going forward, it was uh, it was it was very uh, it was very much needed to be done. Uh, there was some hiccups along the way, but uh, but in the end. Uh, uh, very proud to be involved in getting that done. Right. Definitely uh, allowed us to focus on, uh, you know, just making Hereford better and thinking of Hereford in, in one one word and um, not uh, the divide. And and it's it's uh, definitely allowed us to get to the point that we're at today. <laughs> you know, soon after that, uh, Guy Whole Herd reporting what it came about and uh, – you know, it just, uh, uh, I think it really allowed. Well, that was another thing. That's what, uh, in uh, my my time on the board, we also did that. When yeah. we were putting in the, combining the two performance programs. Yeah. Uh, and Craig Huffines was very instrumental in that. Uh, we, we honestly had... Uh, <clears throat> probably some breeders that were playing with the numbers and, and uh, kind of skewing the, the numbers and, and uh, by putting in the whole herd reporting uh, kind of helped smooth a lot of that stuff out. So that was, uh, that was also done when we, when we merged the two performance programs. Right. Right. Well, appreciate your, your service and that, that time on the board, it was uh it was instrumental to where we're at today and, and, uh, that time and effort that you took away from the ranch, uh, I know is appreciated by, by everyone on the members, you know, in the membership to, to get us to this point, you know, it's just, uh, and I, it's well said, you know, giving back and, uh, you know, um, I know you had a, a blast, uh, being on the board as you stated and it changed your life and, the amount of networking that can happen is unlimited. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. So, Guy, how how have you seen, uh, you know, over time, I mean, uh, having uh, the production sales and the quality of production sales, I mean, uh, from from day one, you were immersed in the commercial business. Uh, you grew up knowing what a cow is supposed to look like and how she can work and what she has to be in terms of feet and legs to survive and and work and what kind of bulls need to go out on that big country and and uh so what what are you most proud of that this breed does and continues to do you know for the commercial industry that fits into your your philosophy at the ranch well i think it's kind of interesting through the years uh when there was a straight herford herford cow herd uh you know herford cows are pretty well bought and paid for most of these ranches and uh, the Hereford cow probably doesn't do everything the best, but uh, she does everything efficiently and uh, really bottom line, the fertility and the, the things that uh, the, the Hereford breed can contrib- contribute to the commercial cattle industry. Uh, like I say, not the best in any one trait, but, but uh, does everything pretty darn good and, and uh, don't have the negatives. Uh, I think the one thing that uh, we had some traits to eliminate, we had some cancer eyes, some prolapse problems uh, years and years ago. And I'm very proud to say that uh, those things have been eliminated in this breed. And I think that uh, these younger generations recognize that and and see the value of uh herford genetics and uh without without the problems and uh and other breeds have had there and still do have some of their problems too so i guess the other thing is is the temperament of the cattle uh i think that's very important and i know years ago some of these guys started introducing some of these brahmin influence cattle out here on these deserts and and uh ended up with the wreck as far as uh the temperaments on them and uh so that's one thing that we take for granted is uh being able to handle these cattle with ease what um where do you see the breed going here in the next five ten twenty years guy i mean what where, where do you see the, I mean, um, you know, the efficiency piece and, you know, I know, um, you know, you've been very supportive of, of those efforts and, um, you know, that commercial cattleman, uh, that mama cow and, you know, the efficiency on the, what, let's, let's discuss that a little bit. Well, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I go to these video sales and uh, all their neighbors are standing around and they all want to bring the top dollar on their steers. And uh, so I always said they're giving up a lot of maternal and a lot of uh, profitability in the cow herd to keep some of these cattle straight black. And uh, just so they can maybe sell for a dime more, they're a penny more than uh, than their neighbors. 
<clears throat> and I think we've had uh, several instances where uh, I know oh, four or five years ago, I had a fellow from Central Oregon come over and he said, well, he said, I'm going to put some Hereford bulls on these black cows. And uh, so after he got uh, that first set of replacement heifer, or the first calf heifers bred back, he called Kyle and he said, well, he said, you're going to have to put up with me for a little longer now. He said, uh, when I preg checked, uh, the best that I've ever done on my straight blacks is 88%. And he said, uh, those F1 baldies bred at 96%. He said, that's profit to me. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, people are people are leaving a lot of money on the table uh, when they when they don't use uh, the only free thing we have is heterosis. And and uh, so uh, there's more and more people that's recognizing that. Uh, I think as we get uh, some of the younger ranch managers and some of these younger people uh, that that are going to take take advantage of that heterosis, and that's where the Hereford cow uh, or the Hereford Hereford breed uh, really fits is back on these red and red and black cows. It seems like the the younger producer, commercial producer. Um, you know, is is looking at the whole enterprise rather than just the the sale price of those steers, and uh, realize the opportunity that's available. You know, at the ranch level to uh, improve the bottom line, and you know, whether that's cut back on on input cost or potentially running more cows, the the advantage that the Hereford breed can offer is 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 pretty big. Yes, it is. <clears throat> yes, it is. And I'm, <laughs> I guess to back up a little bit, I'm a proud Angus breeder too. We've got a number of uh, Angus cows. When we sold, we sold the commercial part of our operation in the early 90s. And my dad uh, wasn't able to really keep up with the ex- extensive writing that needed to be done. And I was too busy to really help him out a whole lot. So, uh, I said, well, we'll get you some Angus cows and start that portion of it. And it's been beneficial uh, in several ways. But one thing, when we have uh, Angus uh, buyers come to the sale, they get looking across the fence and they say, well, we didn't realize these Hereford cattle had changed that much. We didn't know they were that good. You know, and, and uh, it's amazing the progress we've made with Hereford cattle. And uh, some of the cattle that would be uh, winning these shows six, eight, ten years ago, they'd be lucky to be in the top end of the class. They, they, we've made that much progress and that much progress on udders and and, uh, and the the mature cow weights. Uh, what we've done there has just been so impressive, uh, and everybody needs to be congratulated with. AI and ET and all the things that we've got available, we can change them really quick. And uh, I think the other thing that we needed to do, at one point in time, we needed to add muscle. We had cattle in the TPR program, the steers. End weight was 1250 or so at the time, and we had Hereford steers that wouldn't have nine or 10 inch ribeyes. And 
<clears throat> we were lucky to to breed a bull called Pure Gold, and he uh, he basically changed that part of it. He put uh, so much more muscle and meat in these cattle, and we improved that part of it. Then we had to focus on marbling, and we still have to focus on marbling. Uh, very highly heritable trait. We can do a lot of things with it in a hurry. And there's some breeders that's led the way in, in getting some of these good market marbling cattle. And uh, and I feel like now we have uh, this, this next generation of Hereford genetics is going to compete with the other breeds as far as marbling. Yeah, yeah. You said it well. It's a highly heritable trait. And uh, the, there are genetics out there that are potent. And, uh, you know, uh, you can make progress uh, pretty quick. And, you know, doing it in a balanced, responsible way, I think, is important. I mean, you walked us through the, the belt buckle days to uh, the frame race. And, and every time you mentioned that, one extreme had to go to another extreme to get back in the middle. And uh, I'm just paraphrasing a little bit here, guy, but, uh, you know, balance is still key and, and not going from one pendulum to the next. And so, you know, keeping the inherent traits that the Hereford breed is, is strong for is still critical, right? Yes, it is. <clears throat> yes, it is. And that's, uh, and I guess the, the other thing that we need to really concentrate on is soundness, feet and legs. That's what the Hereford cattle have an advantage over some of the other popular breeds is uh, the soundness and fertility in those cattle. And I, I guess also uh, the efficiency. Uh, some of these breeds will, will end up uh, outperforming as far as gross uh, pounds produced. But uh, they're always the first ones to the feed ground, and and they are also the the ones that consume the most feed at the end of the day. And so that's uh, that's one thing that we uh, just kind of need to always uh, keep in mind is uh, the efficiency that the Hereford breed's able to put in the commercial programs. Yeah, yeah. So I am curious. Um... You know, uh, I think uh, some folks, some folks may not know, Miles McKee was a, a very popular Denver champion, um, was a record seller uh, at, at Collier Herefords. Um, you know, those ties uh, back to Kansas State University, Dr. Miles McKee, I mean, how, how did that that name and a, a little bit of a history there, I guess, come about of your connection with Kansas State because Kyle and Katie, that's where you sent them off to school. I mean, where where did that all come about, I guess, Guy? <clears throat> well, the bull uh, was uh, was very, very popular. He was sh- we, we had a pen of three bulls that year in Denver, and it's a decade ago. <laughs> but uh hard anyway, to believe it's been that long <laughs> we uh it was kind of interesting because i had a, everybody come in go to look at him and we had a constant stream of people back and forth looking at him and 
And they'd always ask me, well, are you going to syndicate him? You're going to, what do you, we want on the list, uh, you know, to buy a share of him. And so I had a list of people that was, uh, and I was just proud of myself that I had uh, this list of people that was interested. And so I told Kyle, Kyle said, well, he said, I think we'd be best just to keep out of that. He said, let people form their own groups, do their own thing. And we'll be we'll be fine. Uh, so, the day of the sale, uh, Kyle had Kyle had said that uh, he Miles McKee was the advisors for both Kyle and Katie, and Kyle always said if uh, we had a bull that was worthy, that he would like to name him after Miles McKee. And so that was how the, the name come about, uh, that uh, Miles wrote a letter to, to Kyle and said that, uh, that uh, he, he hoped the bull was, was, uh, was a, a good bull. He said, I don't know that I deserve to have a bull named after me, but he said, good luck with him. And, and uh, so the day of the sale, I guess at Weber Hall at K State, they had a, a TV set up there and had uh, oh I don't know probably a hundred people in the room. So the story goes to watch the sell the sale, and uh, Kyle said before the sale he says, "Well, I think this bull will bring a hundred thousand. Uh, he could end up bringing a hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand, but." Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sherry had John Sullivan on the phone, and uh, there was uh, Dale Van Heisen sitting in the seats, as well as several other prominent breeders. And uh, <laughs> Sherry was re they were relaying the bid. Sherry was back in the hallway, and and uh, the bids had come up, and and uh, when they got up over three or four hundred thousand, Sherry's knees buckles and she was down on the floor. <laughs> but it uh, uh, it was uh, shocking uh, to see the bull bring six hundred thousand. Yeah, and uh, and so John Sullivan was the buyer. Turned around the next day and sold half of that. To, Curtis and Jackie Castle, and then later on, uh, Dimitri Mataragas, uh, Iron Lake, they also. So, John uh, made good money on the bull. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and he goes back to Denver the, the next year, right, and, uh, and, and is champion. Yeah, went back the next year was supreme champion. <clears throat> yeah, and Miles McKee was in the stands. And came down uh, very emotional. Uh, Scott Shockey and and uh, the head of the department was there, and uh, so they came down and and uh, after the bull won and and uh, they packed the bronze bull out that night and headed back to Manhattan and yeah. and was pretty excited about that. So that was a it was a great story. There's there's a picture of him in uh, the main lecture hall there in Weber. So I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I it just ties the whole kind of outfit together of your guys's love for the the business, the breed, the people that help get you there along the way, and uh, 
you know, what a great tribute, Miles, Dr. Miles McKee. You know, the, the late Dr. Miles McKee was, he was an awesome advisor, teacher, mentor, judge. And, uh, you know, I think that just says a lot about your guys' outfit. And um, it's about people in the business. And uh, you guys have been about that, uh, along with raising really good cattle. And it's uh, um, that's that's what makes it a joy to be around Guy, you and your family, um, you know, and just watching you progress and succeed here in the business. Well, thank you. And that's uh, you end up gaining a tremendous. Uh, the Herford family is very strong. Uh, we're competitive. Everybody's competitive. But at the end of the day, uh, if you need help, uh, everybody's willing to to reach out and help each other. And uh, like I say, everybody everybody wants to win. But at the end of the day, uh, there is a great camaraderie uh, in this in this Hereford Hereford breed, and uh, we're we're glad to be a small part of it. Well, thanks for joining us today, Guy. Um, appreciate your time, and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road here soon um, at one of the events uh, throughout the rest of the year. So, thanks uh, for everything you do, and. With that, folks, we'll be uh, entering right into Junior Nationals. Uh, it's right around the corner, and uh, we're heading to Madison, Wisconsin, for uh, a display of great Hereford cattle and great Hereford people and the future of the breed. And so uh, make sure you tune in. Uh, that's going to be broadcasted uh, online as, as normal. And so if you're not able to make it, you'll be able to watch online and see uh, – what's going on in Madison during the entire week and root, root on your favorite uh, people and your favorite genetics. And uh, guy, as you mentioned, the EPDs will be right along with it. And so you'll have an opportunity to see the pedigrees and the information too uh, uh, that's available. And so thanks for joining. And uh, we look forward to getting back on here in July after the junior national uh, to give a little bit of a recap and uh, get into our next guest. So take care, folks. Wishing everyone a happy 4th of July, and uh, we'll be signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.